0: Hi and welcome to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics. For episode 357, my guest is Lawrence Lapard. He is an investment manager and also an Austrian economist of Equity Management Associates. And so we're talking about the burning house of fiat. So we talk about what's changing in the world today, why so many took it for granted, and what are the implications of this new insecurity around property rights. And we speak a little bit around Lawrence's experience in the contrast between holding paper assets versus physical assets, as well as the change in the monetary order that we are undergoing. So this show is brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. Swan is the easy way to accumulate Bitcoin while also learning about Bitcoin. There are various free resources made available to customers. And you can get this over at swanbitcoin.com slash free book to get a copy of Jan Pritzker's Inventing Bitcoin. This is a great short intro. It only takes you a couple hours to read and you learn some Knowledge about how Bitcoin works without going too deep into technical details for beginners. Now with Swan, you can set up your automated sat stacking plan, a savings plan, or you can also smash buy. So to sign up, go to Swan.com. Do you have Bitcoin but you need some fiat liquidity without selling? Lend at HodlHodl is a peer-to-peer Bitcoin-backed lending platform where you can lend or borrow globally and anonymously. So you can just sign up in thirty seconds and borrow without verification. Now. The users control collateral through that whole deal and the interest is paid at the end. It's using a two of three multi-signature escrow. Now, if you have stable coins such as USDT, you can earn extra on them. You are issuing an overcollateralized loan with the full interest guaranteed at the end. Lend at HODLHODL. HODL. Lend and borrow stable coins on your terms at your desired interest rates. Go check it out. The website is lend.hodlhodl.com. If you're interested in Bitcoin mining, check out Compass Mining. Compass Mining is the world's first and largest online marketplace for Bitcoin mining hardware, hosting, and ASIC reselling. Bitcoin mining is getting bigger, and so is Compass mining. Compass is adding over 280 megawatts worth of hosting capacity this year alone. That's over six times the current capacity. So with Compass, you can select your mining equipment. If you're in the US, you can have that shipped to your home and mine from home, or you can use one of the facilities that has been vetted by the team at Compass. Now, there are different options. You can either purchase a new machine or a secondhand machine that may actually be online faster. So there's different choices available, and there's also a range of content available over on the site. That website is compassmining.io. And now to the show with Lawrence. Lawrence, welcome to the show. Or Larry, do you prefer?
1: Uh, Larry's for friends. Either one works. <laughs> Thank you very much. Very nice to be with you. I'm a big admirer of yours.
0: Fantastic. Well, uh, yeah, I've uh, seen some of your commentary and I thought it was uh, really interesting uh, what you've been saying about what's going on globally in terms of the economics of things uh, and what's going on with currency and money. And as I seen on your profile, you're also interested in Austrian economics. So I'm definitely keen to chat about that. Also, uh, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, your, where you're coming from, from an economic perspective?
1: Yeah. So, so briefly, my back, very briefly, my background, I've always been an investor. I was a venture capital investor for the first and largest part of my career, all the way through 2000. Then I, I kind of semi-retired and was managing my own money. And then the GFC happened, and uh, I became radicalized for sound money. I like <laughs> to say <laughs> when I saw how much they printed as a as an Austrian economist. I thought, "Uh-oh, this isn't good. You know, we're not, our savings, my savings, aren't going to take me to 90 plus years old." And so I pivoted and started investing in sound money, the best sound money stocks, which are gold and silver mining stocks at the time. You have to remember, Bitcoin was just getting launched, so that wasn't an alternative at the time. I believed we were going to have massive inflation coming out of 2008. We certainly had a lot, but then they got it under control. And so the best place to be in an inflationary environment and before Bitcoin was oil and gas and gold and silver. I didn't understand the oil and gas market. It was tricky, a lot of politics, but I did understand gold and silver and gold or silver mining. So I now run a fund that focuses on those, but as I've watched, I I, I bought my first Bitcoin in 2013, you know, skeptical, small position, but um, over time, I've become more and more orange-pilled, and uh, Bitcoin's now a meaningful part of what we do, but I I haven't given up on the gold and silver because uh, they both have a role, they're different. Um, I I think Bitcoin wins longer term, but uh, gold's not going away tomorrow, so...
0: Fantastic. Okay. So we've just seen all of these big, crazy events happen recently. And so I think maybe (laughs) it's, I guess, important to situate things because we've been in this environment where people have up until recently just treated it like the US dollar is the world reserve currency, US uh, treasuries are risk-free assets, and you can can take that to the bank. (laughs) And now what's changing?
1: (laughs) Well... You know what's changing. I do too. I mean, it's what do they say? There, are, there are weeks when decades happen, right? I mean, it, it, what happened here in the last three, four weeks is really monumental. I mean, I, kind of akin to when we went off the gold standard in seventy one. I mean, um, what you know, so three big things. I think one, you know, uh, it's a small thing, but it actually is a bigger thing. The Canadian truckers protested, and the you know the premier of Canada viewed that he had the right to freeze people's money. Uh, when, when they did something that he politically disagreed with. No due process, no courts, no rule of law, nothing. Just, I can grab your money. Wow, what an earthquake that is. What an argument for Bitcoin and gold that is. Um, so that was kind of step one. I think step two, followed up by something even bigger, obviously, was um, you know, Mr. Putin decided to create a war in the Ukraine. And um, our response to that, which was huge, and an illegal war, um, but very much the same, our Iraq war was illegal as well. And uh, our response to it was to freeze him out of SWIFT, fine, but also to seize his sovereign reserves that were in our system, which is really, you know, an act of financial war or, or an act of theft. I mean, kind of a possession is nine tenths sort of thing is a counterpoint to what he did. You know, on the, he did it kinetically. We did it financially. Right. And um, so suddenly the message just got sent to every country in the world that if you have financial reserves in the United States, in the U.S. or Western banking system, and you do something that really pisses them off, they can be frozen. They can be taken away from you. So India saw this, and the Saudis saw it, and Brazil saw Everybody saw it, and it's huge. And the implications for the dollar are, are quite obvious, and, and I think going to be very, very severe over time. And that is that the dollar as a reserve currency is going to be replaced. And even you know, Chairman Powell himself said that there's a chance we might have more than one reserve currency, and I think that's a certainty. Um, we've also seen since that event um, a lot more talk about you know people trading in their own currencies for things they want. You know, just recently we just saw that that you know China was going to use yuan and the Saudis were going to accept yuan to to pay for oil. Well, that's an earthquake, right? I mean, part of what's held the dollar together in terms of its relative strength and its overall strength is it was a petrodollar. It was. You know the, the the Middle Eastern oil producers would only accept the dollar for oil, so there was naturally a bid for the dollar, and uh, you know that's going to be undermined. So, I mean, these are really really big things, and you know I, I hear people saying, well, okay, great, so how come oil's not, or how come gold's not going to twenty five hundred? How comes Bitcoin's not at, you know, a hundred thousand yet? Well, you know, markets breathe, right? I mean, it, it they they did run up quite a bit, and uh, you know, and they're breathing and coming back in. And, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I think uh, Dirt Ferguson, uh, Craig Hemke pointed this out yesterday, last night in this podcast. I was listening to it. You know, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if the U.S. government is uh, printing paper oil right now and printing a lot of paper gold right now. I mean, they know they know that we all saw it, and they need to keep these things under control. And they're doing their best, but my view is they're not going to be successful. I mean, oil's come off thirty dollars, but you know, oil's not going back to seventy. In my opinion, oil's going to two hundred eventually, and and you know, gold's going north of two thousand, and Bitcoin's going north of sixty-nine thousand. So, um, but you know, markets breathe, right? They go up, they go down, and, and they were they were all pretty overbought. So
0: I love that saying, uh, "Markets breathe." I think that's an interesting and uh, good way to put it. And I also like your comment there around the paper gold. Now I know you're a gold man, and obviously, any uh, a lot of serious gold people have very strong thoughts around the concept of paper gold and using the paper market to suppress let's say the physical uh and the the asset itself so you mentioned there this idea of paper oil also so could you just for listeners who are unclear how that idea works could you just explain a little bit what what's the mechanic there
1: yeah let me talk about a little bit i mean yeah years ago you know the the plunge protection team was set up you know um, um basically um Chairman uh, Greenspan got it going post 1987. If you really read into all the papers very carefully, and they created something called the Exchange Stabilization Fund, which the New York Fed runs, and so the New York Fed has the ability to intervene in markets when they think prices are doing things that are going to disturb the markets or provide, you know, um, cause damage to the U.S. financial system. And obviously, you know, massively spiking oil prices, massively spiking gold prices. Um, you know, just as just as when the, you know, when the bonds collapsed and, and went no bid in March of 2020, you know, they, they were in there trying to prevent that from becoming a problem. And ultimately, you know, um, Jay Powell came over the top with, you know, huge, we're going to do whatever it takes. He Im- imitated Draghi. So, you know, I mean, they, they, they see all these things, right? They have accounts in the Cayman Islands. They, you know, they, they don't have a balance sheet that, that can be audited and they can do things that that we can't see and we don't know that are happening. So to some extent, none of these markets are truly free, free markets with absolute price discovery. You know, they're all, they're all markets with, a, with, a, with an overlay of manipulation. And in the gold area, which is what I've been in for so long and I've done all the studying and, you know, Gata and a lot of other people have done fabulous forensic work, um, you know, you can just see the footprints everywhere that they have, you know, they, they know that if gold were to break free and run hard, that they would have a serious problem with the, the trust and credibility of their of their currency. I mean gold is a fire alarm. I mean just like and, and actually Luke Crohman coined this phrase, just like Bitcoin is a fire alarm. Bitcoin's probably the only fire alarm that still works. You know, and, and so I mean when when you know when Bitcoin went from five, six thousand up to 50, fifty plus thousand on that last run, boy, you can bet the alarm bells were going off at the ESF. Right? And and they, you know, there are Bitcoin derivatives, Bitcoin futures, but they're not nearly as large and as suppressive as the gold stuff. I mean, in the gold area, we, we think that they're between 50 and, and perhaps as many as 1,000 ounces of paper gold for every one ounce of gold that really exists in the world. So, so they're running, yeah, right, I know it's your eyes light up, right? They're running a fractional reserve gold system where if everybody said, please give me the gold that you know, I think I have by contract um you know there wouldn't be enough or, and not at these prices anyway and so there's a chance for a very high very high and rapid reset in gold which is what part of what's kept me in gold and not just to go 100 <laughs>
0: right uh, and so I, I think the other aspect that really stuck out to me from what you were saying there was around just this idea of seizing foreign reserves like just seizing somebody else's assets now and it's like
1: well uh, yeah. that's no i mean it's huge i mean look why is the West great? I mean, the West was great because we had a rule of law. Do you know what I mean? It was law's not men. I mean, it was always somewhat corrupt and there were things wrong, but you know, coming out of World War II, I mean, there was a there was a peaceful system that we set up and it wasn't perfect. But, you know, what I what I see the most troubling trend I see is this rule of law breaking down. You know, if we go back to a rule of the jungle, that's not going to be good. I mean, people are going to get hurt. A lot of people are going to get hurt, you know? I mean, Imagine if we had a nuclear exchange. I mean, you know, sane people think there's absolutely no... I used to think there's absolutely no way we could ever have a nuclear exchange because of MAD, right? Who would ever think to start something like that? But then I realized that some of these people who are running things, you know, they're psychopaths, right? And I mean, they might, you know, they might actually do something that stupid. I mean, what's, you know, what's 10, 20, 50 million dead people to them if it's not them? I mean, I'm not suggesting that's going to happen, but frankly, it has become more of a concern given... You know, this whole rule of law thing breaking down, it's a slippery slope, tit for tat, right? Okay, you you seized my foreign reserves, you know, well, therefore, I've got the right to do this. Oh, well, you didn't do this. Okay, well, you know, maybe I need to go into the Baltic states. Maybe, you know, maybe the Ukraine is not the only place I start. You know, maybe I go one step further. And then it's just back and forth. And I mean, you see people now in the U.S. calling for a no-fly zone. We do a no-fly zone. We might as well declare World War III. So... You know, and and that's a that's to me a very, very dangerous prospect. And, you know, all these people, at the top Putin included, ought to step back from the ledge and start trying to figure out a way to talk to each other in a sensible manner and to listen to the other side. And what they're, you know, because in some cases the grievances are legitimate. And, you know, the only way to, to solve grievances is to talk them through. Um, but unfortunately, you know, you don't see a lot of that going on right now, and it it is concerning, you know, honestly.
0: And how much of the financial system and the world as we know it, reliant, how much is it reliant on people being able to trust in property rights, being able to trust in that they, their wealth is not going to just be arbitrarily seized, and especially in the case of foreign reserves, who's, even are they right like if it's not necessarily the government or it's not necessarily Putin's reserves if it's relating to asset like somebody else's assets or some citizens assets
1: well that's right I mean it's like you know like I say you you get to the rule of the jungle I mean if you know if it comes down to who's the strongest does that mean that the strong are going to have food to eat and the weak are going to die because I mean it's just you know you've got to decide what set of rules you're going to live by and unfortunately, you know, the trend in this direction, in this area is not good. I mean, it hasn't completely broken down yet, you know, but it's but it's again, it's a slippery slope. And so, yes, I mean, I think one of the things I think you're going toward is just how how bulletproof Bitcoin is. I mean, you know, I love Jason Lowry and all his talks about, it. I mean, I, you know, here you are, you've got a, you've got a mathematical system that replaces armies because people can't steal your stuff. You know, if you've got the 12 words, they can't steal it, you know, and and that's, I think that's one thing a lot of people, a lot of newbies into the Bitcoin space don't understand just how important that is, that ultimately this thing's going to outlast these governments. And and that's a thing of beauty. Um, But because I, I know one of my great concerns when I first got into it is, oh, my God, this really threatens fiat currency. Uh government's going to shut this shit down. I mean, they're not stupid. They're going to figure out a way to shut it. And, and obviously, China's tried to do it, and others have. But, you know, I don't think they can. And, uh, you know, 12 words, and I'm self-sovereign. I love it. And I think, that's, I think that's how all hardcore Bitcoiners feel and should feel. And I think that ultimately, time is on our side because, you know, we've got a better solution. So, uh, you know, it... it Having said all of that, you know, gosh, there are going to be a lot of bumps uh, in the next few years, right? I mean, I'm sure you see that. We all see it. It's concerning, right?
0: And I think for those people who are newer, maybe they're just leaving their coins on a platform or they haven't really thought through their security, their backups, all of these aspects and using their Bitcoin under more adversarial conditions, let's say. I mean, these are things that everyone has to think about and really think deeply about using it in a more self-sovereign way because as an example if you don't it can be easily seized and taken even the bitcoin can be seized if you are not securing it correctly
1: absolutely absolutely i mean and there's been a lot written and said about this i don't want to you know because the government's listening i don't necessarily want to go into you know how important that is and what i've done but i'm just yeah you know not your not your keys not your coins right and uh you know i mean i think didn't we see recently i think coinbase was um grabbing some Russian accounts, they, they, Coinbase and I and I was very, you know, sad to see that happen. I mean, what the, you know, they're not Bitcoiners, um, but they, they were like freezing some, some of their customers who had Russian ties. And I was like, really, you know, what, what's that all about? So once again, I mean, it, it's uh, as we go towards the rule of the jungle possession will be nine tenths. Right. And so, yeah, you want to make sure you get your keys.
0: And in this environment, we are seeing it almost like an animal threatened can be very, very dangerous. And so if governments are pushed into a corner, backed into a corner, what kinds of actions could they take? I mean, th- I mean, these are, I guess, questions that we're all thinking now.
1: Yeah, no, it's a great question. I mean, so Roosevelt does Executive Order 6102 and he grabs all the gold in 1933, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, this... I mean, one thing we know about governments is that their job is to perpetuate themselves and they will change the rules. You know, they will lie, cheat and steal and and they will break the rules. I mean, the fact that Roosevelt grabbed people's individual property in 1933 and that the Supreme Court backed him up. It's just shocking to me. I mean, my grandfather was just appalled by that, just how how bad that was. I mean, that's not what the Constitution says. You can't take people's shit. You know, I mean, and, and, and since then, there have been just a long list of these things, right? I mean, you know, I was short the financial stocks in September of 20, 2008. They outlawed that. Cost me a huge amount of money. I mean, look at what just happened with nickel, right? Nickel does a game stop, goes, you know, no offer uh, straight up. Well, the LME changes the rules, cancels a bunch of trades, makes it liquidation only. I mean, they did it at the Hunt Brothers in 1980. I mean, one thing I think we all can be sure of, one thing I think we should not underestimate is the lengths that these governments will go to, to try to um, maintain their privilege, so to speak. And, you know, this is historically the case as well, I just tweeted out recently, I reread this weekend, um, Andrew uh, Dixon White's uh, Fiat Money Inflation in France, which is the Assignat story from, you know, post-1789, I mean, they were they were executing people who had gold and didn't report it. So, you know, I mean, it's right, I mean, they were going to the guillotine. So you know that it's governments can get to be i'm not suggesting that we're as primitive as that you know a couple hundred years later but i mean i think it's you know i think it's safe to say that the people in power in governments um are going to do they're going to take the moves and do the things that they can to try to hang on to the privilege that they have and so we should assume that some bad things will be coming our way having said that like i said like we talked about earlier you can be self-sovereign and we can wait these things out. I mean, ultimately, when the entire fiat currency system collapses, which I believe it will, the only issue is the timing. Ultimately, when it all collapses, a new government will come in, and you know, Suarez, the government, or the you know, the mayor of Miami is going to be this. He's going to be president, right? I mean, we're going to have bitcoiners running the government. But you know, that's that's definitely 10 years out or something before that happens. So, in the interim, we've we've all. I think we all. Owe it to ourselves to be prepared and to not be naive about what these guys can do because they can do a lot of stuff
0: yeah and so even on things like predicting the downfall of fiat i think i'm also wary as well obviously being into austrian economics i think there isn't obviously a fundamental issue with fiat money but at the same time there are critiques i can i can appreciate and understand people might say look you austrians you're always too bearish always calling uh The end of uh, everything, and there have been Austrians who've, you know, made high inflation calls, and unfortunately got them wrong, even during the GFC times.
1: Oh, I've been, I've been one of them. I've been dead ass, yeah. I've been dead ass. Look, here's the problem: it's really hard to time a once in a hundred year event, right? And that's kind of what this is. I mean, you know, we had a, we had a smaller version of this in the 1920s and 30s, and you know, the U.S. chose deflation, and you know, Russia and Britain and. France chose inflation, but when you you get to a sovereign debt crisis, which is kind of what we're in now, you know, it's going to get resolved. It has to. The mathematics are there, so it has to. Now, you know, we can all look like idiots, and I have looked like an idiot in the past, and I've been wrong plenty of times. I mean, I thought in 2008 it was all over. It was so obvious to me that Fiat was going to fail, that I went and pivoted, put, you know, 100% of my fund into silver and gold. It worked great for a few years, and I I was like, and I was really confident, you know, overly confident, obviously. Because from twenty eleven to twenty fifteen they did Operation Twist, they brought in a bunch of paper gold, you know, and they managed to get the gold price back from nineteen hundred back down to eleven hundred. And, you know, I watched half my net worth, you know, melt away. So, you know, what we gotta understand is the other side is crafty and they're you know, and they've got tools and they control the narrative. So anyone who thinks it's gonna be an easy fight is is, you know, mistaken. You gotta be you gotta be ready for a long, hard battle here. But having said that, I think, I think history and math are on our side. And, and I can't actually imagine that it's going to take more than another 10 years for Fiat to, to, be, to be basically dead. I mean, it's, what is it, 2022? Yeah, by 2032, it, it'll be over by then. I think it'll be over a lot sooner than that. But I, but I don't know the exact timing. Nobody really does because th- nobody knows what the other side's moves will be. You know, I mean, it, look, if they go to full MMT, Fiat could be dead in three years you know, I mean, if they, if they start printing money like crazy, which, you know, who knows, I mean, with, you know, gasoline at $7, they may have to do, I mean, there, you know, there's going to be you know, you're, you're not in the United States right now. I know. I mean, it's, you know, the, the pain here is starting to get pretty significant, right. From gas and food prices. And it's going to be a real issue.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so as you're saying, it's, The difficulties is is that there are so many variables up in the air at the same time. It depends on what one person, what side, one side does or one person, one organization, and then the response from the other. And I'm curious then if we were to try and game out some of those responses, what would some of the likely responses be? As an example, I think probably central bank digital currencies might be a a very likely.
1: Absolutely. You're very smart to point that out. I agree. I I think that's they're trying to go there. That's where they want to go. I mean, I to get a little more micro and a little more dialed in on the U.S. I mean, I think that, I think that um, you know Powell's going to probably today he's going to raise rates. Um, he's signaled 25 bips. I think he might surprise and go higher. Who knows? Um, but they're you know they're trying to fight inflation as best they can. I mean, it's a joke. 25 bips against you know a 7.9 percent inflation print it doesn't really make a difference. But um, you know, but I think eventually you know the stock market is going to go down and then i think we're already starting to see the 10-year bond market you know the price of those bonds going down yield going up you know it's broken out into some new high territory we haven't seen since early 2019 and um you know i think eventually they're going to be forced into yield curve control um where they have to buy the bond market because the u.s with five percent interest rates everybody's bankrupt it doesn't work um everyone's so levered that you know and it's all based on this you know what they did was just enormously distorting this whole ZERP, Zero Interest Rate Policy. This just distorted the financial system beyond measure. And getting out of it is going to be so hard, if not impossible. And so, um, you know, I think they'll go to yield curve control. And that when they do that, that means their balance sheet grows more. So that's the ultimate pivot. And, you know, the, the event people have said to me, well, okay, Larry, you've been saying hyperinflation forever. You've been wrong, admittedly. What's the trigger event? Well, from the books I've read and everything I've studied, the trigger event for hyperinflation is when people realize there's absolutely no way out and they are going to have to print forever and they're going to have to print more and more forever. Now, I think 5% of the population, you and me, other people, Austrians, we realize that. But it's got to get to the point where like 30 or 40 or 50% of the population realizes that and they're like, holy shit. We're in this burning fiat house, our money is going to get wiped out, sell all my stocks, sell all my bonds, give me gold, give me Bitcoin. And at that point, those two assets, the prices just go up infinitely against fiat, and there is no demand for fiat because everyone knows it won't buy you anything, and it'll buy you less in the future. So it's a, But it's the psychological recognition of the, that creates a tipping point. right? that that enough people come to that, there's a law for this. I mean, Gresham's law, you can Google it, right? I mean, he's a guy from 1500s in in Britain, it's a good money drives out bad. I mean, people have to realize that the government monetary system is programmed to debase and getting worse consistently and faster. And when that happens, you get a substitution effect. And so, you know, people just dump the money. They don't want the money anymore. They know it's, you know, they'll buy anything. They'll buy toilet paper, they'll buy food. They'll buy houses. I mean, you've seen this already to an extent. I mean, U.S. housing prices are up 20% year on year. I mean, that's the greatest, that's the Hugo Stinnis trade going on right there. I mean, people are saying to themselves, hey, I can buy this asset, you know, and I can use leverage at 3%. You know, I can get a 30-year at what used to be 3%, but now it's 3.8. I can get a 30-year 30 at 3.8, and I got this asset that goes up 20% a year. Give me some of that. That's a no-brainer, right? So, So, it's coming. It's definitely coming, but the issue you know, with, with each of these waves, more people figure it out, right? So
0: back to the show in a moment. Have you thought about upgrading your Bitcoin security to multi-signature? Unchained Capital can help here. With Unchained Capital, you can bring two hardware wallets and they will do the third key. They'll be the third key cosigner in that scenario. And you can then geographically distribute your keys, giving yourself some more peace of mind. Now, You can set up for free on the website and do it yourself or they've also got a concierge onboarding program where you can pay up front, have some hardware wallets shipped to you if you need them and also have a call to set you up even if you've never held your private keys before. Unchained take that ongoing education seriously also and there's some ongoing support. So go to unchained.com, select the concierge onboarding program, use the code Levera for a discount. And in the world of Bitcoin hardware security, you can't go past CoinKite. CoinKite CoinKite.com is the website for them. They are specialists and focusing a lot on Bitcoin hardware these days, and they've got their flagship product, the Cold Card. So they've got the MK3 out, and the MK4 is coming soon, which is the new version. Now, there's all sorts of features available on the Cold Card. You can use it in a single signature setup, you can use it as part of a multi signature setup, you can also use it air gapped using a an SD card to move that information back and forth although if you're a beginner you can just directly plug it into your computer and use it easily with wallets like Sparrow, Spectre, Electrum, Blue Wallet or others. Now with the cold card you can also use all sorts of features like an address explorer to make sure that you actually control that address. So to buy your cold card and associated gear go to coinkite.com and in the world of bitcoin mining brains is a bitcoin mining company through and through they are providing a range of products and services they have brains os plus which is firmware for your asic machine you can install this to stack more sats and help with auto tuning which gives you some optimization on your miner performance giving you more hash rate for your electricity bill and also with brains os plus you are helping support adoption of Stratum v2 which is an upgraded bitcoin mining protocol Brains also operate SlushPool, which is the first Bitcoin mining pool. They've mined over a million Bitcoins. And with them, if you use BrainsOS Plus and point your machine to SlushPool, rather, you will receive 0% pool fees, which is a really cool benefit. So go to Brains.com. That's Brains with two eyes. And now back to the show with Lawrence. I think that's right. And what we're starting to see is some of the personal finance content creators whether they're on YouTube or TikTok. I've seen some of them now and very mainstream ones. We're talking guys with over a million followers or subscribers. And he's saying, yeah, I went out and took out this massive loan because otherwise I didn't want to just be a sitting duck in the burning house of Fiat, as you say. And so he's saying, oh, yeah, I went out and took out a loan. I didn't really even need it. But I thought, well, the best way is to buy a property. So I bought a property with, with this loan, as you were saying, because he can access cheap credit. Then it will become a real and again, this is not nice to I guess to think about, but really it's going to become a game of haves and have nots. He who can access very cheap credit will win and he who cannot will suffer.
1: That's exactly right, which is just so tragic. I mean the whole this whole damn thing is so tragic. But it just look, I didn't I didn't create the system, <laughs> you know. I'm not a central banker. And uh, you know, so my view is seeing it and understanding it. You know, what I've tried to do is just educate people and um, you know help them to understand what they can do to protect themselves because you know they're, and 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 as as tragic as it is, I also want to try and be optimistic because I think Bitcoiners really are optimistic, and that's one of the fabulous things about them, is that you know Bitcoin does fix this. When we get to the other side of this, things are gonna be a lot better. They really are. And in fact, if you study hyperinflations throughout history, of course they're horrible. People get wiped out, you know, people who have, they see their life savings get destroyed. It's horrible. Having said that. When they do reset to a sound currency, things come back really fast. I mean, people are smart, people are industrious. and if we can do it without killing 50 million people like we did in World War II, you know, if, if we can do it without kinetic war and death, you know what really happens is just the wealth shifts hands. It goes from the people who had bonds, you know they don't those bonds are now worthless to the people who have real assets, and they're much better off relatively, right?
0: Yeah, and so I guess along those lines of what the typical responses in a high inflation environment are. So typically taking out loans because you can borrow the you know you can borrow the bad money to buy something that's going up. And so I, I think if you look at other examples, and I've done episodes on the show also, so listeners you can check some of those out. Looking at things like oh, examples, let's say Zimbabwe, where in in a high inflation environment we're seeing people take out loans to buy things. Uh, we see uh, people you know event like and this is eventually before you get to that final monetary hot potatoes point where people are earning money and then as soon as they earn that money they run and buy things in the store because otherwise it, the value just disappears or it, Price it's is just going
1: up prices are going up yeah.
0: Yeah. And so in that scenario, I guess part of it is also thinking about what are the likely governmental responses, because eventually at some point, let's say credit markets may tighten up, you may not be able to access cheap credit, or maybe you might be an entrepreneur on, on the premise of, oh, look, I'll be able to roll that loan over to keep my business running, or I'll be able to keep doing these loans to keep stacking more houses if I'm a property entrepreneur, let's say, trying to be a property mogul or whatever. But then what happens is if credit seizes up and they can't get that next loan, then they're in trouble.
1: Well, that's right. That's right. And and, that's, and that points to a risk that I would point out of, of getting too over leveraged. You don't want to get too far out over your skis, right? I mean, if, if suddenly, you know, okay, so you're, you're leveraging properties, you're, you're borrowing to do it, you're renting them out, say, for example, what happens when your tenant loses his job? Because you're in a in a depression like set of conditions, so you've you got to be careful with the Hugo Stennis trade. I mean, you've you got to make sure you're not going to lose the assets. I mean, I saw it on Bitcoin. You know, some of the people were they're following the Plan B model, and they were absolutely convinced we were going to be at 150,000 by now, and so they levered up their Bitcoin. You know, and then whapo, we had another big drawdown, and we all know it's volatile, and they got blown out. You know, and it, it, it's 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 tragic. Um, I think the other thing you can count on is the government response. I was thinking of when you mentioned that is. You know, wage and price controls. I mean, I was around in the 70s. I mean, Gerald Ford put in wage and price controls, and he had a, you know, we all wore buttons that said whip inflation now. And, <laughs> you know, it was kind of stupid, but, but you know, I mean, and wage and price controls, we all know how that's going to work. Okay, fine. You know, you, you, put, in, you put in controls, you're not going to get anything. You're going to have shortages. You're going to have black markets. I mean, this is, they had wage and price controls in World War II, and, and basically they had to go to rationing, you know, of gasoline and butter and other things. So, I mean, it's, the government's going to try lots of different things. Um, but you know, none of them are going to work uh, in in a long term sense. I mean, the, the solution is for the government to reset right now. You know, but I mean, look at our government. I mean, you know, uh, you know, so half of them are drunk. I mean, <laughs> you know, you saw, you saw that Twitter clip from uh, one of the one of the representatives speaking the other day. I mean, you know, they they don't understand what's going on, and they and they have they have very little ability. You know to to think through what what the correct solution would be, which would be to reset the currency. Um, and And that would be the fairest way to get to the other side, but I think that's unlikely.
0: Right. And so they can just keep trying to point the finger and blame somebody else for their yeah, own problems. Right. And I think this also points to I think this is an interesting point, and I'd love for you to touch on this idea, is that we actually need to study economics not just for some kind of theoretical intellectual hobby but also to perceive the world in a better light and to understand a little bit more about what's going on. So I'll give you this example of, as I'm sure you're seeing it, and I'm sure listeners are seeing it, is that apparently a bunch of TikTok influencers were given a briefing from the White House on how to basically blame Putin for the gas prices and for inflation. And so... This is just an example. But at the same time, if you actually study Austrian economics, and you actually try to understand a little bit more about what's going on in the world in a macro sense, from an interest rates point of view, from a monetary
1: point of view, you can
0: actually see through that lie a little bit better, wouldn't you
1: say? Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm shocked. I was not aware of that fact. That That's just so, so fitting. And so, you know, so descriptive of our times, right? I mean, it's, Let's give these people online a way to push our false narrative, right? And you know, more recently, we've also seen the false narrative, um, a couple of different government officials came out, Marty Bent had a great tweet about it, you know, that, that government, uh, government spending is not what's creating the inflation problem, which is just a blatant lie and, and, and an attempt to gaslight us. I mean, because the government spending increases the deficit, the increased deficit's not funded because we don't have buyers of our bonds. Therefore, the Fed has to fund it. Therefore, the Fed has to print the money. And ultimately, ultimately, inflation comes down to the excess money. I mean, the reason we're enduring the inflation we're enduring is because the Fed, you know, created 46% of the money supply, historical money supply, in under two years. I mean, just as a result, you know, in reaction to the COVID thing. So, and, you know, while they've slowed that down, um, I don't think it's, I don't think the markets are going to hold together long before they're going to be forced to going back to that. And that pivot, when that pivot comes, I think that will be a big building block in the earlier argument we were talking about of when everyone realizes they can never stop, right? I mean, the Fed's like, okay, we had COVID. I mean, and it's convenient. I mean, it's it's annoying to me that this war broke out Because it's like you know, okay, now now Putin gets to say that you know the Ukrainian dog ate my homework, (laughs) right? I mean, it's not you know, it's not my stuff that's inflation. It's not the fact that we're running a two or a three billion dollar or trillion dollar deficit that's creating the inflation and monetizing it. That's not what's creating the inflation. Putin did it. You know, it's just it's extremely annoying and. You know yes as more and more people become educated i mean i think that's key and i I think i the other thing i learned from you just now is that i didn't realize some of these more mainstream people are are talking about i mean i did get picked up in Barrons this past weekend and and there have been some articles in the wall street journal talking about the dollar losing its reserve currency status and i have i will say this i manage a fund in the gold and silver space i've never had the, the amount of outreach from mainstream institutional asset managers that I've seen in the last few weeks. I mean, I think that I think that a, a light really, really when when this whole thing came down and we sanctioned the you know the the Russian reserves and um, I, you know I, I think a, a light went off in an awful lot of the money management community, a big part of the money management community said, oh my God, this is serious. We we you know this inflation issue is serious. It's persistent, and and the world is changing, and we can't just assume that keeping score in the dollar. Makes sense anymore because the dollar is going to be debased. It's already been debased, but it's, and, and so, you know, between there and what we need next Stefan is we need the world to realize not only is it going to be debased, but it's going to be debased. It can never stop. And that debasement is accelerating. When those three beliefs become wide stream, it's all over at that point. Hyperinflation, because there'll be, there'll be a rush for the exits. I mean, I you know I, I did a tweet on a tweet thread on this. I mean, I could, you know we could wake up some morning and there's you know there's no bid in the bond market, you know, and and um, the Fed will be forced to step in and buy those bonds, um, and you know maybe they'll do it quietly surreptitiously, but I suspect some of it will have to be announced. And when that announcement gets made, that's just another block, another building block that says, okay, here we go. They can't stop.
0: So as you were saying, I think a big part of it comes down to government debt being cheap and accessible. And obviously the bond market is an important part of that. And so as you were just saying, how you're seeing more money managers reach out to you and talk about this in a more of an honest sense, because let's say they can't necessarily benchmark against the US dollar or use that as part of how they index or benchmark their performance, as an example. And so I think in a similar way, we're seeing a lot of people who just by default, they just do the 60-40 stocks and bonds. But what happens when people wake up and realize, wow, 40% allocation to government bonds that are just guaranteed to go down? Do you think we see a change in that behavior, the typical 60-40 stocks and bonds?
1: I think so. I mean, I think so. I'm not, you know, I'm not really close to the Susie Orman crowd, you know, kind of the day-to-day people. But I but I do know some stockbrokers. And I think that, you know, they, they all, I mean, I think their clients are becoming aware of the fact that something's not right, you know, the bonds. I mean, if you've been in a bond, you've been losing money the last year or so. And for the first time ever, I, mean, I think the more interesting thing is actually the stock market, right? I mean, you know, here's, I mean, this year is a very instructive year. I mean, the only things that are up this year are natural resources, commodities, oil and gas, and gold stocks. I mean, all the major US stock indices, you know, the Dow, the S&P, the triple Qs, they're all down. And that's, that's and, and of course, I know what's going on right now. Everyone's buying the dip you know, because the typical stock investor post 2008, the right answer has always been to buy the dip. Right. And, and I, and, you know, I mean, I, and I have to say every time it dipped down before, I think, okay, here it is, you know, it's going to go lower. So I was dead ass wrong. But the point is, one of these dips, you're not going to want to buy. <laughs> you know, It's not going to come back. I happen to think this is the one, but I've thought that before, and I've been wrong. So a caution that, you know, don't follow my advice on stocks. But I mean one thing's for sure, you know, if we go if we go to a higher interest rate environment, that's gonna slow down the economy. And also a higher interest rate environment means that the PE multiples that we're at aren't as justified as they were. And so I, I think I think stocks are in trouble. I think bonds are in bigger trouble, but I think stocks are in trouble too. And so, you know, when people start getting their statements and they see their statements getting smaller, you know, they call up and they ask questions, right? Well, why am I in this? Why isn't it working? Well, and I know, and I know, because I've talked to them, I know what the average financial advisor is saying, oh, this has happened before, be calm, you're okay, you know, da 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 you know, we got to buy the dip, we've got to hold tight, don't sell in a panic, you know, and and every single time in the past, they've been right. I mean, I was advising some people to sell stocks in March of 2020. That was a dead-ass wrong move, because they brought it back again. And they may bring this one back again. I mean, it's possible when Powell does this pivot, which he'll be forced into doing, and you know they talk about you know I mean one of the things I think they're going to probably have to do at some point. I think they might actually they might they might do yield curve control where they buy the bond market. They might also buy the stock market. I mean Janet Yellen signaled this a couple of times in the past. I mean Switzerland's done it, Japan's done it, others have done it, and you know it'd be pretty easy to get it. I mean it's not legally today the Fed isn't allowed to buy the stock market, but wouldn't it be easy? The stock market's down a lot. Everybody's IRA is hurting. Everyone's clamoring for some, you know, to, to make it go away, make things get better. And so, the, you know, Congress passes the, you know, protect the, protect the U.S. IRA Act. We are now giving the Federal Reserve the authority to buy the stock market. Okay, fair enough. Stock market would go up, no doubt about it. But in turn, you know, what would they buy the stock market with money that they printed, right? And so the money would continue to get debased. And you know, I think if they were to take that move, the bond market wouldn't like it at all. So, you know, look, they've got a big bubble based on printing money and low cost money and mispriced money based on ZERP. There's just no, I mean, there's no, you can't taper that. You just can't. You know, it's either going to implode or you're going to print like crazy. And, and by the way, the other reason I think we're closer to the end game is that every time they print, it has to be more, right? Look at the 08 example. You know, from, from 08 to whatever, 11, 12, 13, you know, they printed $3 trillion. It took them a bunch of years to print $3 trillion, right? This time, I think they printed close to $4 trillion, and they did it in less than two and a half years. I mean, it, you know, in fact, they did they did a lot of it, unless they did a couple trillion, bam, right out of the gate. You know, so, it, and 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 my sense is the next one will be bigger still. I mean, the Fed balance sheet, was at eight now? I mean, um, my gut is it, it's going to 15 or 20 on the next one, you know, so it's because, you know, think about it as it's like a balloon, you got to keep putting air in this bubble, or else the thing's going to deflate. That's, that's, you know, that's the analysis that I use as I model it. But, you know, when they do each of these things, that's the tough part. We don't know what they'll do when, right?
0: Absolutely. And so, as you rightly point out, each time, they've got to do even more. And each time they've got to print more, bail out more, they just each time is more and more, because otherwise, the whole thing comes tumbling down. And this is all a game of how long can they keep the party going? How long can they just keep kicking the can? Um, And, uh, you know, thinking back, and as you were pointing out that it's almost unjust that, that, you know, they've got the excuse, or they're using COVID as an excuse, let's say, or of other things going on in and around the world. I wonder how much of the history of some of these big crises really is, it does come down to inflation. And then we're just pointing at something, but really the underlying cause of a lot of that was the monetary mispractice malfeasance going on.
1: Well, as you're an Austrian economist, so you know it well, I mean, it's a fat pitch for me to hit. I mean, (laughs) look, monetary mischief has caused a lot of the problems in the world. And that's why, you know, my Twitter handle is fix the money, fix the world. I mean, you know, you, if you study it carefully, I think you can see that inflation and credit growth and, and you know, misguided monetary policy has created enormous problems over the years. I mean, you know, pre-1913, we didn't have a Federal Reserve and gold was money. And, you know, there were problems, there were various crashes and, you know, companies got into trouble and so on and so forth. But having said that, from 1789 to 1913 was probably the greatest increase in human prosperity in the history of the world ever. And, you know, we did it without a Federal Reserve. We did it without a federal income tax. And, uh, you know, it was when politicians and powerful interests got involved. I mean, remember, the Federal Reserve is not really part of the government. It's a private organization that works for the banks. And so it does what is in the bank's best interest, full stop. So these things, I mean, it, it, was, what was, used, it was used to finance World War One. I. I mean, they, they found it in 1913. They said, oh, yeah, we're only going to discount bills at... You know, sound credit at high rates of interest. Right? Three years later, they broke that. Three years, they broke it, and they printed a lot of money to create World War One, which then led to the bubble. It led up to twenty, and then led to a bigger bubble. It was twenty-nine. So, you know, this is—it's bad stuff. It's not, and that's the beauty of Bitcoin, right? The beauty of Bitcoin is, you know, human beings by our very nature were all flawed, and everyone will, you know, at the margin cheat. <laughs> and math doesn't cheat, right? If you have a if you have a formulaic system that we all participate in, that you can't cheat or game, that's the best monetary system ever. Completely, for sure, it's better than gold. We don't know. We don't even know how much gold we have. I mean, we say we claim we have eighty-three hundred tons, but you know, Fort Knox hasn't been audited since the fifties. I mean, I don't think it's there. Ron told, Ron Paul told me he doesn't think it's there. So it's it's a mess it's a mess this this monetary stuff is a mess and uh, it's got to get fixed but you know fortunately we'll have a huge unfortunately or unfortunately i mean unfortunately in terms of the pain we'll have a huge blow up but fortunately because it'll then lead to it getting fixed you know our kids and grandkids won't have to deal with this problem they'll have some other problem to deal with i mean global warming you know whatever it might be at the time but it's not going to be this one
0: so going into this idea that we are moving into a multi-currency world, right? So even Jerome Powell has come out saying the U.S. dollar may not be the only reserve currency. It's implying there's this sort of multipolar world, or we're seeing, as you as you said, we're seeing uh, Saudi Arabia looking to sell China oil denominated in uh one and we've seen i believe india looking to boost non-dollar trade with russia also so we're starting to see the beginning signs of that do you have any thoughts on what a multi-currency world looks like and obviously where do you see bitcoin playing into that over that medium term
1: yeah um i don't there are people who are better at macro than me i mean i've always been kind of a stock picker and an investor and good at analyzing companies i'm not a macro guy I mean, I would point people to Luke Groman, who I think is probably the best macro guy in the world right now. You know, I, I think that ultimately, you know, what currency gets used. I mean, the thing to keep in mind is that trans, financial transactions can be done very quickly. I mean, even if people like, for example, Russia was buying oil with dollars, but then the minute they got paid, you know, or sell, I'm sorry, selling their oils for, for dollars. But then the minute they got paid in dollars, they turned around and used the dollars to buy gold. They didn't hold the go- the dollars. They got rid of all their... All their, you know, their dollar bonds and, and a fair amount of their dollar reserves, they, I guess they held on to some, they probably needed them to operate. But remember that you can convert into whatever you want. And, and they're, you know, so currency's got a couple of different roles. One of them is transactions, the other is store of value. And, you know, right now the dollar is the most liquid currency, no doubt. It's the reserve currency, but fading, you know, but there will be others. But to me, there'll be all these various currencies, you know, whether it be the rupee or the, you know, the yuan or the yen or the euro or whatever it might be. There'll be a lot of different currencies. But the one that really matters to me is not what currency you're paying in, because you can quickly get paid in a currency and swap out. What matters to me is what currency are you saving in? Where do you want to put your reserves? Where do you want to put your excesses? Right. Are you comfortable holding dollars? Are you comfortable holding dollar bonds? Are you comfortable holding Chinese bonds? I wouldn't be. But you know, but I tell you what I am comfortable holding. I am comfortable holding gold. I am comfortable holding Bitcoin. And I think more and more people will get and are, get, are getting comfortable holding Bitcoin. And what they're going to realize is that all of these fiat currencies are getting debased. I mean, this is, this is Brett's you know, um, you know, dollar milkshake theory, and he's right. I mean, the dollar is still the best of a lot of bad fiat currencies. I don't really care which fiat currency wins. What I think is going to slowly but surely happen Is gold and Bitcoin are gonna become the savings reserve currency. Transactions might get done in lots of different things. But again, what do you go back to? You got a reserve, what do you go back to? I mean, this is Sailor putting Bitcoin on his balance sheet. I think think you'll see gold companies putting gold on their balance sheets. You'll see saving in the thing that they believe in. You'll see Bitcoin companies putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet. And you know. It's it's not, you know, happening as fast as I'd like. And in the Bitcoin case, a lot of people argue against that because of the volatility. They're like, well, I don't want to put something on my balance sheet that goes up and down a lot. Okay, fine. My argument on the Bitcoin volatility is just what we're trying to do is we're trying to, you know, we're trying to put the ocean into a swimming pool. And it's gonna, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be volatile, right? I mean and and unfortunately, I mean, and I, I think this is truly unfortunate for Bitcoiners, you know, the the Wall Street guys have gotten involved. I mean, uh, you know, if you look at some of these big exchanges like FTX and other guys, and they're offering enormous amounts of leverage and, you know, and they were former derivative traders. I mean, Caitlin Long has pointed this out. And, you know, so that, you know, and, and there are derivatives growing up around Bitcoin. I mean, there is paper Bitcoin today, sadly. You know, there are pay, it's, it's not big. It's not, I don't think it's driving the price at all, but you can, you know, people are writing Bitcoin derivatives. I mean, I think, by the way, when this whole thing collapses... I think one of the things that's important it's going to be important is to have a new Glass Steagall, but also to have a a a banning of derivatives, because the minute you kind of let people in an unlimited fashion leverage things, what you basically have said is the guy with the most money can runs the world, because when when you can use leverage and you've got more than anyone else, it's like being playing table stakes poker. You know what table stakes poker is, right? The person all you can bet is what's on the table. Well, okay. If you're at the table and you have the biggest balance sheet, you have the biggest pile of chips, you can have a shit hand, you know, and, and play it out to the end, put everything in, and nobody's able to call you because they don't have the money to call you with. And so this is what derivatives are, right? Derivatives can be used to manipulate and shove the prices of these things around. And by the way, who has the biggest hidden balance sheet in the world? The U.S. Fed and the BIS, Right? And so, you know, they've used that to control our world. They've definitely used that. I mean, that's why, that's why farmers don't make any money. You know, that's why commodity guys have suffered at the expense of financial guys. But guess what? It's changing. <laughs> you know, there are cracks in the system. You know, the LSE is on its last legs. I mean, they just basically the LSE just said, you know what? We're not playing by the rules anymore. So again, think about everybody who's dealing with the LSE. Wow, they can, you know, they can void my contract. Huh, do I really want to be trading there? Do I really want to use that organization? Right? Once again, back to nine-tenths.
0: Yeah, fascinating
1: points. You know, and and trust. I mean, all these financial institutions, it's all based on trust. And and things are happening, which are basically putting a lot of doubt in whether that trust is justified.
0: So the way I'm seeing it is, in a fully free market, there is a reason for derivatives to exist. It's perhaps it's just that they've become distorted and too much a part of the system in the fiat world. It's that fiat has enabled this sort of Frankenstein monster of a financial sector to, to balloon to a level beyond what it would otherwise be if we were living on, in a fully free market with fully market chosen money.
1: Maybe, maybe. I mean, I, I think I, I have to disagree a little bit. I mean, I think that the minute you allow unlimited leverage, you give power to the person with the most money, I think, and, and that in and of itself is inherently evil. Um, I, you know, unless you want the people with the most money to rule the world and control the world and make themselves richer at our expense. Um, you know, look, I think, I think a futures market should exist. I mean, the futures markets originally got started to allow farmers and to allow producers to hedge, you know, the price, you know, I mean, the, the, so they know what they were going to sell their, their product for and, and for buyers to lock in a price of what they were going to buy their product for. I mean, I think I think, you know, futures in connection with legitimate commercial activity should be allowed, but to go beyond that, I think you open a real can of worms that, that has led to some of the problems. I, but you may be right. If we go to a sound money system, you know, with with with, with fair interest rates, Right, I mean, part of the reason why these markets have gotten so big is their carrying costs are zero. I mean, they can borrow from the Fed at twenty-five basis points. You can carry an enormous position for almost no money. If you had to put up a legitimate margin and pay legitimate interest rates on that margin, then maybe the you know what I'm what I've described wouldn't be so so prevalent, right?
0: Yeah, and that's, that's, that's kind of the line of thinking I was going down as well because it's like yeah. there are, you could say, okay, um, you're a farmer and you want to sell forward, right? And, and what is that other than derivatives? But to your point is that is that we would not see them to this level and to have certain players who right. have the kind of power that they have right now. And here's the other exactly. point, I think, that if you make the wrong bet and you lose, you would lose a lot of money. Whereas today, you, we're living in bailout culture, right? It's ba- right. government bailout culture, and exactly. you can be saved from your irresponsible choices.
1: Absolutely. And we've seen it over and over again. I mean, LTCM, that blew up Wall Street. They saved them all. They saved all those banks. I mean, they just saved this Chinese billionaire. But we also now learn that JP Morgan held part of his bet. So, you know, Jamie Dimon just got the LME just helped out Jamie Dimon. No surprise, right? I mean, there was a, apparently there were over a billion five of losses at JPM on the nickel bet. So, so yeah, I mean, the bailout culture, right, I mean, it's a great game, heads I win, tails you lose. I mean, uh, you know, um, I've seen, Lloyd Blankfein has been on Twitter, you know, waxing forth with some opinions on this, that and the other, I'm kind of like, dude, you know, you should shut up because you wouldn't even be here if the government hadn't bailed out Goldman Sachs in 2008. I mean, you basically ran a company into bankruptcy and the government bailed you out. So you know, I'm not really very interested in what you have to say.
0: I love that point because it's like we are living in this age of false prophets and false heroes, right? These people become elevated because they right. were simply winners of the fiat casino as opposed to right. genuinely skilled investors, entrepreneurs, um, you know, pe- workers, people who are providing some kind of tangible, genuine value for the world or for the economy, for other people. Instead, we are lauding and raising and praising uh, these very unimpressive people.
1: I completely agree. I mean, I call them the fiat masters. I mean, there are there are some people who've gotten insanely rich off of this system. And uh, it's sad. It, it's sad and it's wrong. Uh, it's it's just sad. I mean, I as an example, I mean, I used to kind of, in my earlier days, I respected Warren Buffett as a value investor. But ultimately, he really became kind of a player in the fiat system. You know, um, and a lot of his things were bailed out. And, you know, it, it, look, people... And, you know, I mean, you said, you know, maybe you don't blame the player, blame the game. I mean, if, you know, if the game is set up that way, people want to, you know, be successful, they're going to game it. But uh, it, doesn't, it still doesn't make the game right.
0: Of course. And I think even another example to what we were just saying as well is you see these billionaires who are very reluctant to criticize China. Uh, they're very... Uh, supportive of human rights abuses or very silent on human rights abuses because it's lining their pockets and they're not they don't want to rock the boat
1: Uh, absolutely yeah no don't don't get me started on all the narrative wars i mean it's i don't even want to go there i mean it's so there's so much hypocrisy in the world it's just it's 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 impossible for sane people to bear it (laughs) that's how i look at i i look at most of what's going out of the mainstream press and i just kind of assume it's a lie um, you know somebody's pushing some narrative for some reason. You know, I mean, it's the the, the what is it? The Latin "qui bono"? You know, who benefits? You got to apply that to all this stuff, right?
0: So, in an age when people can't trust media or the propagandists, what comes next? Is it individual creators? Is it name brand people who people start to trust? I mean, it seems that that's the shift. I mean, even people are looking at, say, Glenn Greenwald's Substack as in, as opposed to some publication that he may have written for in the past
1: absolutely absolutely no i think look people crave information they crave the truth i mean i think i think one of the things that bitcoin is doing one of the things that's happening in the world is these big sclerotic organizations are failing we're getting into a more decentralized thing and you know people know bullshit when they hear it and that's why there's a great chart that showed you know kind of the viewership of joe rogan as compared to you know all the networks i mean you know, Joe's not perfect, but, you know, he's crushing it in terms of getting alternative points of view and, and trying to get honest answers to difficult questions, which you can almost be assured that the mainstream media is not providing. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think we're, we're heading to, and it's a beautiful thing, right? I mean, the internet started it, you know, it was the Gutenberg's printing press, and then, you know, Bitcoin's bringing it to the monetary sphere. But, you know, I think what we're heading to is a much more decentralized world where people you know, can pretty quickly realize, are you are you being honest or aren't you? And, and you know, people aren't stupid. They're going to follow the honest people and they're going to ignore the bullshit, right? And that's happening. But, you know, there are, there's still a lot of people. I mean, it's, it's like taking the pill, right? There's still a lot of people who are trapped in the old matrix. We need to help them get out of there. You know, we need to orange pill them, we need to red pill them. You know, <laughs> it's, it, it's frustrating to me when I hear people arguing about what's going on on TV. And you know, I'm just like, oh, God. You know, I don't even know where to start.
0: (laughs) So taking that idea of uh, handing out the orange pills and uh, helping people, where do you see that we can make the most impact. Where are we going to have the most bang for buck? Are there certain communities we should be prioritizing our message, or are there certain people to try to reach first uh, who are more amenable to the idea?
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, I think the millennials, as a group in general, kind of get it. My kids get it. I mean, they know how they're being screwed. They can't afford to buy a house. They're not making any money. Their wages aren't keeping up with inflation. You know, they see these these greedy boomers who, you know, want all their benefits and you know think the existing system is great. So. I think millennials are probably the first, and they're going to be the hero generation in this fourth turning. They're going to fix it. Um, you know, I've I've dedicated myself to trying to orange pill gold people um, because it, I think I think Bitcoin and gold are somewhat compatible. I mean, I think Bitcoin's superior, but I don't think gold's totally inferior. I mean, the the notion that gold is the enemy, I I, I dispute that. I think that you know fiat's the enemy. Um, we need to drain the fiat system. Um, and people who buy gold, they're buying it for the right reasons. I mean, they're much more aligned with Bitcoiners than most Bitcoiners realize. And so, you know, I, I gave a speech down at the New Orleans Gold Show. And I think your audience might find it interesting that, you know, there were 500 people there. And, and it was asked, somebody said, how many of you are, hold Bitcoin? And half the hands went up. So, you know, the gold people are coming around. and. Um, but you got to remember that, you know, boomers hold a lot of the wealth and boomers, are, you know, many boomers are afraid of Bitcoin and, and you know, when inflation comes, they're going to go to gold first. And to me, gold is like the gateway drug to, you know, mainlining, mainlining Bitcoin. <laughs> but but I, I think, I don't know, I mean, I think, look, the whole, the whole nation needs to be saved. You know, I think, I think the most important thing we can do as individuals, um, assuming we want to get this thing going as quickly as possible so that our kids and grandkids enjoy better lives is to just everybody in our sphere of influence try and spend the time to help them see and understand and educate them that the fundamental problem is at the base layer of money and that if we solve this problem things will get much better so that's that's what i've been trying to do that's why i'm such a loudmouth on twitter and why i'm active in these audio interviews and everything else i mean you know i'm not i'm not doing this for the money i'm, I'm doing it I'm doing it because I want to fix the system. The system's badly broken. I think it's very unfair.
0: Fantastic. So, I think you uh, put it perfectly just there. So uh, let's wrap it up here. Um, and for listeners who want to find you online, where can they find you?
1: Yeah. So I have a website um, and all my quarterly reports and a lot of a lot of information is free there. It's uh, EMA2, EdwardMarkAlpha, the number com uh, You can download the PDFs. And then I'm, at, I'm really active on Twitter. As I said, I'm a loud mouth. So, on Twitter, I'm at Lawrence Lepard, just uh, my name spelled out, um, and you can follow me there. And I would give a shout out to Twitter. I can't believe Twitter is free. I mean, I'm sure you feel the same way. I mean, the amount of information and input and intelligence, if you're careful, I mean, you've got to block the idiots, but uh, that you can get on Twitter is really quite stunning. You know, um, so I, you know, those are kind of the two two ways to access me and i and i try to respond to every dm i get and i try to respond to comments as much as possible but i you know i got a day job too so
0: fantastic well thank you lawrence
1: oh thank you very much i've really enjoyed it um obviously you're doing great stuff a lot of respect so
0: and if you're enjoying the show remember you can really help me out by leaving a review on the platforms as well as sharing it with your family and friends so they too can learn about bitcoin get the show notes at stefanlevera.com thanks for listening and i'll see you in the citadels